Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Dina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Babe. The Sheep Pig was written by Dick King Smith and was published in 1983, and it was published in the U.S. as Babe the Gallant Pig. And the film adaptation, which came out in 1995, was directed by Chris Noonan. Here we are doing Babe, yeah. the iconic movie about a pig, <laughs> when we initially set out to do a movie about a dog. Yeah, we were, you know, so we got a new dog a couple months ago. Uh, her name is Arwen. She is some kind of uh, mix, but definitely Border Collie of some aspect, some large some percentage of Border Collie. And we were like, we should do a dog-related episode. And we threw around a few different ideas. And, of course, we landed on a movie about a pig <laughs> that thinks it's a dog. But for a couple of valid reasons. Number one, there are dogs in this film, and they're collies. So they look quite a bit like Arwen. Yeah. Uh, their fur, and I think collie's fur in general, is longer than Arwen's fur. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, it's kind of a Christmas movie. There's like a, a big portion that takes place at Christmas. Yeah. And we're in December now. So <laughs> we I think it fits a number of uh, requirements. Yeah, it ended up being kind of what we needed at this time and what we wanted in honor of our sweet dog, Arwen, who is uh, probably not smart enough to herd sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the energy, but not the um She the has the focus. enthusiasm. Yes. Yeah, but not the aptitude. Absolutely. <laughs> She's the opposite of Babe, where Babe doesn't have the physicality to do it, but has the intellect. Arwen uh, has the energy, but lacks the <laughs> mental stimulus or mental prowess to do so. Yeah, I think it's more of applying herself, right? Yes. She would rather just uh, cause chaos wherever she goes. It would be fascinating, though, to let her loose. With a bunch of sheep and just see what, she, like, see if instinct takes over to any degree, right? Because there's definitely some amount of collie in her. Yeah, we actually are getting um, one of those tests done to find out what uh, her breed makeup is. But we won't find that out for, like, probably a month or so. It takes some time for is them that how long it takes? to do, like, an analysis on that. Well, this is a plug for our Instagram, then. If you want to know <laughs> the genetic makeup of our dog, yes. uh, follow us on Instagram, <laughs> where we will definitely post it. And we'll definitely post Post uh, some pictures, some side by sides of Arwen and Fly, the sheepdog, the yes. main sheepdog from this movie. See if you can see the resemblance there. We did get some cute photos of Arwen. I got a few photos of like the what thirty seconds that she was actually looking at the screen, yes. as if she were watching this film <laughs> uh, before she got too hyper and we had to put her in jail. As in, we, her, as, in her crate. In her crate. <laughs> Which we call jail. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, our phase of life and of owning a dog has been going super well. We're really happy. We love her so much, and we're very excited to be able to do an episode that's kind of about her in a very, very roundabout and not really way. I mean, I think one of the bigger requirements of doing a dog episode was that the, we didn't want a sad dog story. Absolutely. Like, the dog cannot die, which is really funny because I feel like as soon as we got Arwen, it felt like every movie we watched had a dog dying in it. I know, and I was so upset. Like, every movie, even <laughs> movies where I wasn't thinking about it, like, 
uh, when we did our episode on The Thing. Yeah. I was like, oh, a lot of dogs die in this, don't they? And then in the original version of The Thing, dogs died. And then we were just watching Rear Window recently. And I'm like, no, the dog dies in this. <laughs> it, uh, it just, I don't know if I'm more aware of it or if just had a string of bad luck. I think we're more aware of it right now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's get to Babe. Um, This is an iconic movie for so many reasons, right? I mean, in so many ways, like it kind of, revolutionized like the effects in industry for using dogs and CGI and stuff like that. And it was also like really popular when it came out. Yeah, this movie was nominated for a lot of Oscars. And if I did know that, I forgot because when I was researching this film, I was like, oh, my God, this got nominated for best uh, Best picture, picture. best supporting actor for uh, James Cromwell, uh, best director and then, like, some other, like, tertiary, I think screenplay, like, screenplay, effects. effects, yeah, some some ones like that. But, like, a lot of Oscar nominations. And I think in hindsight, it's kind of like, I mean, not that it isn't a good movie, but you don't usually think of, like, talking animal pictures getting these kinds of, like, Oscar nominations. But I think that tells you how revolutionary it was at the time that, like, there hadn't been a movie like this come out, right? Yeah. And people weren't used to like, oh my God, it looks like the animals are talking. Mm-hmm. We should do a hundred more movies like this. <laughs> well, and also it's a very well-told story. Oh, absolutely. Like the quality is there. Like yeah. it is deserving of the Oscar nominations. Yeah, not to like diss on like the Airbud movies, but like, you know. <laughs> uh, to be fair, Airbud does not talk in those movies. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I retract my statement about Airbud. <laughs> if only Airbud was uh, uh, based on a book. Oh, man. We can do a bonus episode on the 50 movies that came out after. Oh, my God. We have content for ages. Yes. <laughs> um, but I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid. We had the VHS. We watched it constantly. I really have a soft spot for this movie. We've talked about this before, at least in private. I think it's really funny because you were someone as a child who would watch a movie over and over and over again. You would watch a movie a lot. Yeah. And despite being a huge fan of film now, I never did that as a kid. Really? I, there were some movies. Like, I remember I I liked the Disney Hercules quite a bit. But even that, I don't know if I watched it a lot. Like, probably a few times. I just, that wasn't, like, my mindset. I, I don't know. It's like, it's almost as if I didn't think to watch it again. <laughs> You're like, I'm like, done with that. Oh, that's nice. That was nice that that played and has ended. And, like, it, it wouldn't even occur to me to, like, watch it again. See, me and my sister especially, we were the type that were like, Oh, my God, that was amazing. Now we're going to watch it forever until we're (laughs) sick of it and until we can quote every single line in the movie. And in fact, when we're not watching the movie, when we're in the car or we're doing chores or out and about, we'll just quote the movie to each other. And it's like we're watching the movie. (laughs) Maybe that's what I was lacking. Because I I mean, I do have an older brother, but he's a good bit older than me. So like watching movies together wasn't like a thing that we would do. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that's what I was missing in my life. (laughs) Some good memories there uh, with this movie, though. So I was really excited that we got to do an episode on it. Yes. Uh, Let's get into the actual story now. Uh, Let's talk about the film first, because the film kind of gives us a prologue that we don't get in the book, which is seeing where Babe comes from. Yes. Seeing the factory farm. Yeah. Where he was born. 
his siblings, his mom, all these pigs in this warehouse. We have a, a narrator telling the story in the movie, Roscoe Lee Brown. Excuse okay. me. Okay. He was a very, very prolific movie and TV actor um, and had a lot of narrating stuff, okay. too. I mean, the, the narration is great, like great voice and delivery. Yeah, but he said uh, something... The line was like a cruel and sunless world. Yes. And but this being the story of an unprejudiced heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea that someone just shows up and takes a piglet for like a fair competition to like, you know, guess the weight of the pig. Right? Yeah. They're raising money for like a cause. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just being like such a circumstance of chance that Babe was kind of like rescued from this situation. Right. Mm-hmm. I think the movie really touches on the larger picture of like animals and like the the food industry and their place in the world yes this yeah. movie has a lot to say about the place of each animal in like the hierarchy yeah of the farm and the larger world yeah and i mean the movie is telling you right from the beginning that all of these animals are going to be killed. And when you're a kid, you don't really think about it that much because the language is very, like, mild. And the narrator talks about how the pigs all believed they would go to, like, a pig paradise when they would leave. (laughs) And then, of course, show the truck leaving, and it's, like... A meat truck. A meat truck, yeah. So, so very sad. Like, initially, you know the kind of movie you're in store for. Yes. Let's go to the fair now and see Babe meet... The Hoggets. Yeah, so uh, we have Arthur Hoggett, who is a sheep farmer, and his wife, Mrs. Hoggett. And I love their dynamic. And it's so similar from book to film, right? That Arthur is just kind of this, first of all, tall, tall man, and very kind of stoic and quiet and doesn't say anything more than he has to. And then you have Mrs. Hoggett, (laughs) who will just ramble a mile a minute. Yeah. I love in the book all her rants, right? She'll just be going on and on and on and on and ask him like five million questions and tell him five five million things. And then he's like, two (laughs) o'clock. I also love there's a scene. I forget if this is in the book or not, but in the film, she's rambling on about something. And then he just says one word like pity. And then she's like, what are you rambling about? Like, yeah. you? <laughs> just immediately jumps on him over it. They have a really funny but uh, good dynamic, I think. I read that James Cromwell, when he read the script for this film, because he only like says like 170 words. <laughs> and like a lot of those are in the song that he sings. And he's like, OK, this is going to be like a really small part. But, like, it's worth doing, like, whatever. He really didn't realize how significant the role was. That's really funny. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he doesn't say much, but his presence is so important. I know. He just says so much with, like, his physicality and uh, just a single look, you know, just Mm -hmm. kind of his stoic demeanor. Yes. Uh, Babe is in a Guess My Weight competition and this is where arthur hoggett picks babe up and they look at each other right and they have a moment this is also where the book picks up this is where the book starts us is at this fair and it seems like there is a shared destiny in store for them yes i love the uh the peeing gag in the film (laughs) is very good but arthur uh gives his guest for the wait and then receives a phone call uh back at home that he was correct and he gets the pig now yes and of course the plan for the pig is to fatten it up and then kill it and eat it. Yes. So not great. <laughs> like the pig may have escaped the factory farm briefly, but its future is not bright. <laughs> yeah. And we go to the farm and we meet all the other animals that live there. 
Uh, most importantly being the family of sheepdogs. Yes. We have Fly and her puppies. And Fly is, I mean, all the puppies, all the dogs here are collies. And Fly meets Babe, who is in the farm or in the barn. And he is just so sad and pathetic and cute. I know. And it's funny because two seconds before she meets uh, Babe, she's telling her puppies like, oh, pigs are stupid. Yeah. And then she meets him and he's like so polite and scared and little. (laughs) And it just breaks your heart. I know. When he's like, I want my mom. It's so sad. And Fly immediately is like, oh my God, I have to protect this little (laughs) child. (laughs) I love that though. Like it's so sweet. Like we were talking about the role of animals and like this dog, just this instinctive nature of like wanting to mother and protect. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, We've seen a million videos online. Of yes, I was just thinking of all the relationships. Like, sweet animal videos. Yeah, like this dog adopted a chicken or <laughs> this hippo thinks it's a polar bear or just like these random like animal relationships that are like so sweet, you know? Yeah, I love this. And this is where Babe is named, right? Because that's what um, his mom used to call him. And um, we also meet Rex, which is Fly's partner, He is kind of the ruler of the farm, I would say, and he is only in the movie. Yeah, I think he's a really smart addition to the film, though. Like, his presence creates more conflict and more tension, especially, like, as the story progresses. Yeah, he's very much like, you're a pig, you don't belong with the dogs, don't think that you're a dog, and so kind of becomes this a little bit of an antagonist for Babe. Yeah. Around this time, Babe meets Ma who is a sheep that is sick and was taken back to the barn to kind of like rest up. She has rot hoof or hoof rot or something like that. (laughs) And a nasty cough. And a nasty cough. And I'm not as young as I used to be. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but, But Babe immediately starts talking to her and she's like, oh, like you're actually like really sweet and kind. Yeah. But we're kind of, uh, clued into the relationship between sheep and dogs in this story, which is really interesting. And this is something I really love and appreciate about this story is that all animals can talk to each other technically. Yeah. But there's still like these barriers between them that prevents (laughs) them from like actually communicating. And cooperating. And cooperating. Yeah, this universe is very interesting, right? I love it because they all talk to each other. And there are some scenes in the movie where they're talking back and forth and then it just cuts to like, Arthur Hoggett watching them (laughs) and it's just like the buying of the sheep and like barking and like (laughs) it's just really funny I remember way later like in the climax of the film uh Rex and Fly are talking and he just like sees them in the distance and it's just two dogs sitting silently like staring at each other (laughs) and I'm like that is if you saw that you'd be like are they having having a discussion (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the sheep and Ma kind of tells Babe this, like the sheep call the dogs wolves and says that they're mean, that they chase them, that they nip at them, that they're just bossy and rude. And Fly tells Babe that sheep are stupid and they like can't even like hardly speak and it's worthless to try to communicate with them. Yeah. And they need to be pushed around and bossed around. Mm -hmm. And so like 
yes, they're both kind of speaking the same language, but like there's no actual communication there. Yeah. And Babe is just kind of in the middle, right? Yes. He becomes like a conduit between the two. Yeah. Especially in the movie, I think he's conflicted, right? In the book, he's more just like trying to keep everybody getting along. There's a moment in the movie where he hears what Ma says about Fly and he's like, it couldn't be true, right? And he's kind of like a little standoffish with her in yeah. a moment. And then she comes over and like licks him and he's like, oh my God, she's so sweet. Like, of course she wouldn't do anything mean, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of um, babe learning about the world that feels more present in the film, I think. Yeah. And him having to like come to terms with things. Yeah. Um, around this time too, the puppies are sold, unfortunately. Oh this is heartbreaking this is like so sad they play like the saddest music and zoom in on fly's face (laughs) and she's like bye it's so sad i know but like you also get the feeling that like fly has done this like many times before like yeah had a litter of puppies like has taken care of them for a short while and then they get sold to other farmers who need dogs to like take care of flocks of sheep right Mm -hmm. so she's not new to it but like, oh, uh, God, this is something, though, another aspect of the film that I think helps it be enduring is that despite it being a movie about like cute talking animals, there's kind of a a deep sadness and like tragic quality <laughs> yeah. to it as well that like doesn't shy away from like the sad reality of like. The lives of animals, essentially. Yeah, getting eaten. Pigs get eaten, you know. Puppies get sold. Yeah, there's just, like, a lot of that. Like, animals die. Like, there's a lot of uh, very sad moments in this story. Yeah, I agree. Uh, But Babe asks Fly if he can call her mom. (laughs) In the book, he asks if he can call her mom, since this is in the UK. (laughs) Yes. And she's immediately, like... Oh my God, yes, please. I I need this right now. I need this. <laughs> it's very sweet. It is. Maybe here's a good time to talk about the effects of this film. Yeah. Because they really were revolutionary for the time. And so George Miller, yes, that George Miller of Mad Max fame, was a producer on this film. I was mistaken. I thought he directed the first film, but he only directs the sequel Babe, Pig in the City, <laughs> which we should watch sometime. Yeah, I've never seen it. And uh, this was kind of a, 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 it's not a passion project, but he had a desire to make this movie for years. Like since it came out in the 80s, he there was like a 10 year span of time where he wanted to make this movie, but he had to wait for the technology to kind of like meet his idea of how he wanted it to look and feel. Yeah. And that is a combination of like uh, puppetry of the animatronics, because there are a lot of moments of puppeteering going on in this film that, like, if you're not really looking out for it, you will miss. Especially when they're, like, laying down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a lot of moments where it's like, oh, I that's that's a puppet, I think. It is. It is a puppet. But, mm-hmm. like, if you're not really looking for it, it's hard to tell, right? Yeah. And he, so he, like, co-wrote the script with Chris Noonan, the director. Um, he was a producer on it. Interestingly, a lot of people speculate that he was kind of the driving force in the direction of this movie. Yeah, I was curious about that. You hear stories like that a lot where like, oh, this person was the director, but actually maybe they weren't. Maybe someone else was doing more of the decision making behind the scenes because like this was his idea that he wanted to make for a long time. And he would direct the sequel later on. And like Chris Noonan, despite being nominated for best director in this, didn't seem to like go on to like direct anything else that was like 
even close to as being like significant, yeah. you know, as this. So yeah, I had the same thought when I saw that George Miller didn't direct this. Yeah, I read that there was like maybe some animosity between them after the movie came out. Like Chris Noonan was kind of saying that maybe George Miller was saying that he had really directed or directed it or was like kind of spreading that around and George Miller denies that, but also kind of said like I kind of gave him the story like and had it all like set up for him mm. to direct it, kind of heavily implying that like I did most of the work and then he kind of just pointed the camera. Well, and I did wonder if the technical aspects of this film maybe made Chris Noonan like a more suitable director for it. Like, I don't know what his background is, but like with effects heavy films, sometimes having someone, a director with like a real knowledge of that can help the process more. And I wondered if, like, maybe that's why they brought him on board. Like, maybe George Miller wasn't as suited to that. I don't know. Because uh, there is a lot of other... Because not only you have the animatronics aspect, but you also have, like, the um, digital manipulation of the mouths of the animals to have them look like they're talking. So yeah. we have a shot of an actual dog, and then they alter the mouth to make it look like it speaks. Mm -hmm. Which... Still looks really good it by looks today's standards. Really good, honestly. It does. I think that like the mouth movement is like very minimal. Yeah. Like they're not opening their mouth too much. They're not like overly articulating. It's kind of just a very subtle mouth movement. And I think that helps sell it a little bit more. I agree. I, I really like how this looks. I think the blend of real dogs, real animals, uh, CGI, and then the practical like puppets is really like nuanced and like thoughtful right yes and the changing of like now it's a puppet now it's not like kind of keeps you it makes it hard to like always know what you're looking at right yeah like, kind of keeps you guessing yeah also of course like their their use of actual animals is like really amazing like they used like i think like 48 pigs that's what i read because they grow up so fast <laughs> and babe is just the tiny pig for the whole movie so they just kept having to swap out like different pigs throughout the entire time i also read that um babe is technically uh female really <laughs> because otherwise you would see i, I guess his junk and you don't <laughs> i guess i just wanted that like smooth look <laughs> see his giblets yeah <laughs> that's really funny i mean like I it's so great just to watch a movie with real animals. And that's not really a problem back then. Like, of course, they were going to use real animals at least part of the time. But like today you get movies like uh, uh, what is it? Call of the Wild. Yeah. With that uh, CGI Harrison dog. Ford and they use a CGI dog. And like, why would you do that? Because in a movie like this, sometimes it's just fun to watch animals do stuff. I know. That was literally one of my notes <laughs> watching this movie was like, it's fun to watch animals do things. <laughs> like even just simple little like walking from point A to point B. Uh, and, and you know, I think this leads us into uh, our next portion, honestly, which is kind of this like funny, absurd little episode that happens only in the film and revolves around Ferdinand the Duck. Yes. And Ferdinand the Duck is a duck that also, he doesn't believe he's a rooster, but he likes to caw in the morning like a rooster. <laughs> and I love that this also touches on the whole, not animals being confused about who they are, but kind of like playing the roles of other animals. Yeah, and also like having a purpose and a place. And there have been discussions of this before, but Ferdinand is kind of laying it out for Babe. He's like, listen, the, the dogs have jobs, right? Like 
the roosters and the hens have jobs, right? And they don't get eaten because they do work for the farm. Yeah. And he's like, if I don't want to get eaten, I have to have a purpose and a job. So he's trying to be a rooster so he doesn't get eaten. Which is so funny. <laughs> uh, however, his plans are in jeopardy when Mrs. Hoggett gets a new alarm clock. <laughs> and so he needs to uh, get Babe to help him retrieve the alarm clock to dispose of it. Yes, he can't do it himself because he's allergic to cats and there's a cat in the house. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's like a whole scene of like uh, Ferdinand just lamenting to Babe about like his plights as a duck and like yeah. the danger that he's in. And it's so funny. <laughs> the voice for Ferdinand is so good. Oh, it's fantastic. It's great. <laughs> uh, but this begins Babe uh, going into the house to retrieve this alarm clock and he has to avoid... Uh, waking up the cat during this moment. <laughs> and it's like this whole sequence. And this is kind of the only time we get something like this. And so I think it works well. Like, I think if they did this kind of thing too much. Yeah. It would have. I it mean, it's been over the much. top. Right? It is. It is. But like you said, it's just this one scene. So it does kind of work. Because there are a lot of movies like this where it's just a series of shenanigans. You know what I mean? Like set pieces that are just kind of like wacky, like mousetrap type over films. the top. Yeah, but this is like the only time we get that. But like, it's just so fun to watch like Babe sneaking around and then like the string getting caught on his foot and the duck in the window watching. And it just it works. And it works because it's just fun to watch animals do things. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we have the inevitable uh, conclusion, which is just chaos as the cat wakes up and chases them through the house paint flying everywhere. We have the Hoggets coming home and finding this disaster in their house, right? Yes. And the uh, paint footprints of the duck and the pig. <laughs> Escaping, yeah. Yeah, and then we see Babe just covered in blue paint, <laughs> getting lectured by Rex all night on his proper place in the world and how he's violating the social order of animals. I love Rex's dramatic nature. <laughs> like, he's sitting on top of this stack of hay bales. Like, the light is really harsh and overhead. It feels like a dark courtroom. Yeah, he's not just lecturing Babe. Like, everyone has to sit and listen to yes. him go on and on. Yeah, and he's also, like mad at the duck and is like the duck has to stop pretending it's a rooster like we all have to like do our jobs as the animals that we are uh so once again kind of creating more conflict and tension here uh specifically around rex yeah uh it it comes to be christmas time and as ferdinand likes to say christmas means carnage christmas means carnage <laughs> Oh, I used to quote this line all the time with my sister. Every, every Christmas, you remind me, Christmas means carnage. Christmas means carnage. <laughs> He's afraid for his life. He's like, I'm going to be eaten, right? Yeah. Uh, it is Christmas time, though. And I think this brings up an interesting aspect of the film that we were both discussing. And that is, where does this movie take place? Yeah. Because we know it was filmed in Australia. Yep. It was specifically the Southern Highlands of New South Wales, Australia. Mm -hmm. But we were listening and we we're like, everyone's doing like American accents or they are American, you know? Yeah. And I, I didn't notice this, but uh, a fact, a little trivia thing I read was that the, the cars drive on the right side of the road in the film. Okay. But it doesn't feel like anywhere in America, especially when it's this portion and it's Christmas time and it's as green as green can be. There's no place that looks like this 
really in America at Christmas time. No, at least none that I am aware of. Yeah. And also like Arthur Hoggett's like attire was ver- is very Britishy looking to me. I know. And their house feels very British. And I'm sure it could also be like Australian, but to me it reads more as British, right? Well, and the book takes place in England. It does. So like, <laughs> I don't know if they ever even hint at like what state they're in or supposed to be in, but it does give the movie a feeling that it's kind of in nowhere in particular, right? Yeah. I think I, even as a child, I kind of felt like it wasn't in, in America. Yeah, like, yeah. I kind of knew that. It has that feeling. Uh, now, I think in the sequel, Babe goes to the city in question, Adina. <laughs> I think is San Francisco. I think that's the city on the cover of that okay. film. So, like, it, I'm curious if in the sequel they, like, allude to where they're at <laughs> geographically in the United States. Uh, but, yeah, this is where that question became the most apparent to us watching the film because it's Christmas and it's just super green and normal. yeah. So it's Christmas and they're supposed to eat babe. And this is only in the movie, this whole Christmas scene. But Mrs. Hoggett is like, all right, you're going to go out and kill him, right? Like, go do it. (laughs) And this is where Arthur is kind of like, pity. Yeah. She's like, what are you rambling on about? And he kind of makes this, you know, allusion to, well, he's getting really fat and he might win a, a prize at the fair next year. And she, Mrs. Hoggett is like obsessed with winning prizes at the fair. She yeah. has a whole trophy room, right? That's funny because like when she when you we see her polishing the trophies earlier, I just assumed those were like competition trophies from like the uh the sheep herding competitions yeah. and that maybe they were Arthur's, but maybe they belong to her or maybe she just cares about the trophies. There's a line in the beginning of the movie when they're at the fair okay. and her friends are talking about the trophies and blue ribbons that she's won. Okay. And she's like, oh, it was luck. And they're like, luck? You won like five blue ribbons and two trophies. And she's like, oh, well, we had a very good year, like, for (laughs) strawberries. Like, she has, like, jams. I think she makes, like, a bunch of food and she enters it into the fair. That, all of that? Right over my head. I didn't hear a word of that. I've seen this movie a lot. That's true. You've seen it way more times than me, so I shouldn't feel bad about that. Okay, that makes sense then. I just assumed when I saw the trophies that they belonged to Arthur. But yeah, so Arthur kind of like uses this against her to like for her to be like, oh, like maybe we won't eat him and then we'll enter him in competitions. Yeah. So (laughs) Babe had no idea how close to death he came. (laughs) And I do like in the film, everyone is like waiting for Babe to die. (laughs) Yes, they all know it's probably going to happen. Even Moss is something about like, "Uh, I probably won't see you again. (laughs) Babe's like, what do you mean? (laughs) So yes, uh, Babe is spared. And there is this great fake out <laughs> where you think Ferdinand, the duck, is killed instead. Yeah. And they're all watching. You, I think you see Arthur go into uh, the barn with like a hatchet. And then you see like the cooked duck on the table <laughs> and all the animals are gathered around. And then who shows up at Ferdinand? <laughs> I think the cow is like, if you're here, who's in there? <laughs> and what's the what's the duck's name? Rosanna. Rosanna. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Rosanna. Uh, R.I.P. The duck yeah. that we never saw. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but Ferdinand is spared and Rosanna got unfortunately eaten for Christmas. Uh, Ferdinand's had enough of this, though. He's like, I got to get out of here. Yes. And uh, he uses the uh, the gate to launch him. I'm like, he's a duck. He can fly. He doesn't need this. He just wants like a little boost. You yeah, know, a little, he's dramatic. A speed boost. <laughs> 
<laughs> Babe, at this point, though, decides to go visit the sheep and discovers a lot of dogs here, like dogs we haven't seen before, and the sheep are getting, like, rounded up. And it's kind of, like, not totally clear at first in the film. At least it wasn't to me, like, what exactly is going on. Because at first I was like, oh, is this not Arthur's herd of sheep? But then I was like, wait, but Ma is there. Mm-hmm. And we realize that these are uh, sheep What's the term? Rustlers. Rustlers, thank you. I almost <laughs> said wranglers. Sheep wrestlers. I kind of, I don't love this idea. It's not good to steal yeah. people's animals. But, like, it, it seems, like, so over the top for, like, a band of people to be like, let's go steal some sheep. And yeah. they have their own evil dogs that they <laughs> let loose on the sheep and, like, get them in the truck. And, like, it's like a heist, you know? It is. So, uh, and I like, too, that this kind of makes sense in the film for it to be at Christmas. That they were probably like, oh, Arthur's probably you know, entertaining family. The farmers won't be anywhere around. No. Yeah. yeah. So they are, uh, yeah, they're attempting this heist. Babe takes off to go uh, warn Fly and to warn Arthur that this is going on. Yeah. Uh, and he is trying to get the sheep to not to go into um, the truck in the book, right? Yes. In the book, he kind of like, he's present during all of this and he manages to kind of like speak to all the sheep and his polite kindness uh, connects with all the sheep and causes just kind of like a commotion. Yeah. Where the sheep all simultaneously try to escape and it kind of like thwarts uh, the rustlers plans. Yeah. Interestingly, in the book, the rustlers don't get away with any of the sheep. And in fact, Babe makes such a loud racket with his squealing that yeah. um, Farmer Hoggett like comes pretty quickly and they're driven away and they don't get any sheep. Um, in the movie, they do get away with some of the sheep but not as many as I think they wanted to because, like, Farmer Hawkett is coming with the dogs and everything. Yeah, and so this is kind of the moment where Babe proves his worth uh, to Farmer Hoggett. And in fact, in the book, this is the reason why uh, Mrs. Hoggett is like, oh my god, like, this pig saved, like, our <laughs> sheep. We can't eat him. In the book, she loves him. Yes. She's, like, obsessed <laughs> with him. She's like, he's such a good pig. Like, oh, my God, we, we're never going to uh, eat him. And, in fact, I'm going to feed him, like, extra little bits all the time because yeah. he's such a good pig. At one point, she's like, oh, my God, we should let him in the house. And yeah. <laughs> Arthur is like, I mean, he might, like, shit in the house. And she's like, no, he would never. Like, yeah. he'll never do that. He's he, a respectful pig. Too kind. <laughs> She's like his number one van. Yes. So around this time, after Babe has proven himself uh, to be valuable and has uh, ingratiated himself to uh, Farmer Hoggett, he brings uh, Babe along to the field with him when he is going to go, I don't know, do whatever sheep farmers do with their sheep. (laughs) Yeah, what do they do? Move them around, (laughs) you know, just kind of shuffle them around. We do see him actually uh, shearing the sheep. Oh, Which yeah. is like an, an interesting part of the movie. Oh, and that shot of him kind oh of my gosh. Uh, unfurling the wool right into stacks like yes. in the sunlight. Beautiful. Gorgeous shot. I also just love getting to see these dogs work in the film because mm-hmm. herding dogs and the owners of them like the dogs are so fucking smart and uh, the owners are so smart in how they have to like train them. And, the, like, they'll have different commands for each dog. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, me whistling or saying this means that dog needs to move the sheep this way. This command means this dog. Like, you have one sheep farmer and two dogs, and they're, like, trying to corral all these sheep. And then you get into the competition stuff later, which is unbelievable. Yeah. It's just cool to, like, see it in the film. Because the book 
explains a lot what they're doing. But I mean, it's no comparison for actually seeing it. No, definitely not. Um, Babe, in the movie, this is kind of exclusive to the movie because in the book, we've already seen him talk to the sheep during the wrestling scene. And so he doesn't really have trouble uh, communicating with the sheep in the book after that. In the movie... He's given his first try at hurting the sheep, right? <laughs> uh, Arthur Hoggett is kind of like, all right, let's 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 see if the, the pig can do it, right? And he's getting advice from Fly. And Fly is like, you have to dominate them. <laughs> show them. Show them who's boss. Kill them. I love this. <laughs> she, she's so fierce. So intense. And I love this because Fly towards Babe is so sweet <laughs> and so kind and so motherly. And then she's like... You have to instill the fear of God in them. Like, they are beneath you. They are scum. Like, you bend them to your will. Yeah. Like, she gives him this whole speech. And I love Babe is like, all right. And Babe, like, tries to, like, tries to bark at the sheep. And they laugh at him and tries to, like, order them around. He calls them buttheads. But <laughs> the way he says it in the film is so cute and I funny. Know. And it ends up with him biting one of the sheep in the leg and they just kind of kick him away. Mm-hmm. And I love it because Ma is there and she's like, what are you doing? I was just telling them what a nice young man you were. <laughs> like, he's like ashamed. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm just trying to like heard you <laughs> and she's like why don't you just ask like you know you're not meant you're not meant to be a, a a sheepdog you know just be polite you're a very polite young man yes and he's like he feels so bad about it but then is able to ask them like would you be so kind as to go over there into uh the pen like at your own pace like there's no rush at all it's <laughs> it's so funny he's just like so polite and the sheep love it yes I just want to read a little portion from the book because it's kind of similar in the way he talks to them. Good morning, said Babe. I do hope I find you all well and not too distressed by yesterday's experience. And immediately it seemed that every sheep had something to say to him. Bless his heart, they cried. And dear little soul. And hello, Babe. And nice to see you again. Um, And then he's talking to them a little bit more. And then he says... If I might ask a great favor of you, he said hurriedly, could you all please be kind enough to walk down to that gate where the farmer is standing and to go through it? Take your time, please. There's absolutely no rush. A look of pure contentment passed over the faces of the flock, and almost as one, they turned and walked across the paddock, babe a few paces in their rear. They walked sedately and steadily over to the corner, through the gate, into the pen, and then stood quietly waiting. No one broke rank or tried to slip away. No one pushed or shoved. There was no noise or fuss. From the oldest to the youngest, they went in like lambs. <laughs> I just want to say, my ad lib was very it close was, to it that. It was pretty close. <laughs> it was really close. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, this is just like such a fun and interesting story. Like we were saying, when the sheep are being herded by the dogs, they're just like freaked out. They're shouting wolf, wolf, and they're like kind of scurrying around. And it's just about like the dogs dominating the sheep. And like, w- once again, like they can talk to each other, but they're not. That's not about. Yeah, that's not what that relationship's about. But here, babe is coming at it with like this really kind and polite attitude, this like sense of equality. Right. And yeah. The sheep are just like, absolutely. They're like, this is so nice. <laughs> 
I'm not running around afraid for my life every waking moment. Yes. <laughs> uh, someone is not happy about this, though. And of course, it's the movie only character of Rex. Yes. Played the voice actor is Hugo Weaving. This I was thinking about this because he gives a whole like not monologue, but like little <laughs> speech in the film about like. They are the descend the descendants of like a royal bloodline of like dogs and like they have like this authority and this duty to like, you know, act a certain way. He gives this whole impassioned speech. I'm like, this is absolutely what got him the role in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like this is like this kingly attitude, this very like stoic, import self-important kind of like vibe to him. He's good in this. He's great. He He's really perfect. pulls it off, right? Um, he's really pissed about Babe making a mockery of his sacred duty, yes. right? And Fly is trying to intercede on Babe's behalf and is like, listen, Rex, like, you know, the farmer wants to do this. We should just let him try. He's not hurting anything. And Rex is so upset that he actually attacks Fly and they have a fight. You get some spousal abuse here? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it is kind of funny because you are like, what is their exact relationship, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the puppies are both of theirs, but, like, that doesn't mean, like, that they're, like... Together. Together, in a way. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. But, like, yeah, uh, they get in this terrible fight. Uh, Farmer Hoggett hears that when he goes to try to separate them, Rex actually bites uh, Arthur. Yeah. And this is, like, a really significant moment, right? Mm hmm And they call in a vet, and the vet has to sedate Rex. Which he says will make him ineffective as a working dog. And I don't quite understand what he's doing exactly. I mean, I think they're just trying to see if he's going to still be aggressive. Yeah. Um, but obviously if they keep him and they're just keeping him sedated so he doesn't like try to bite more people or animals. Yeah. Um, so obviously if he is lethargic due to the sedative, he can't, like, actually go out and herd the sheep. Yeah, but is this something that, like, Arthur's going to have to do, like, every day? I think for a time they are doing it, okay. and you can tell that he's being sedated for a while, but then eventually they stop, right? Okay. Probably because they're, they're trying to see if he'll be better, and I think ultimately if he's not, they might have to, like, put him down. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, do, you can't have him, like, being, like, aggressive towards everyone. I mean, you could also, like, neuter him. That's what the vet says. Well, that's true, yeah, but Arthur doesn't want to because he's a breeding dog, but also, yeah. like, if he's gonna, like, rip someone's throat out, you, can, you can't have that <laughs> yeah. either. It's between killing the dog and neutering it. But, yeah, I don't know, like, the whole, the vet makes it seem like this big permanent thing, but you're also, like, well... Is it because he is sedated for a while, but then he seems to get off of it or something? I don't know. I just don't think it's totally clear. Yeah, I agree. It's a little confusing. We do get a tragic backstory for him here, though, yes. where Fly kind of explains to Babe why he's so upset and, and says like, oh, Rex was like a really skilled sheepdog. And in fact, he was in all these competitions and was doing so well. And he was like in his prime and then there was this horrible storm and flooding incident and a bunch of sheep got lost in the flooding and he tried to get them to safety. Uh, poor Rex. And a lot of those sheep died that he was trying to move, but they wouldn't budge. And then he almost died from drowning. Yeah. And now he's like almost deaf because he was so sick from that like incident. 
And uh, yeah, can't be like a competitive dog anymore. It's very sad. It's very sad. He has a very tragic backstory. It's very effective. Yeah, also contributes to the prejudice against the sheep, right? Yes. That he was trying to get them to the safety, but they were so scared they wouldn't listen to him. And then they all drowned anyway. You know, it's very sad. It's not that I like dislike that aspect of it, but I also don't think that there needs to be like a backstory to the prejudice. Like I kind of like that it's almost like, this idea that it's like almost inherent among animals that like, oh, the dogs just don't like sheep because mm-hmm. they think they're stupid, you know? Yeah, I do think it adds dimension to Rex, though, him being so protective over like being a sheepdog. Oh, yeah. And like what that means to him and having that taken away. Yeah. Uh, but this gives Babe the opportunity to step up and begin... Uh, working with Farmer Hoggett as a sheep pig. <laughs> yes. Uh, we get a couple of moments of this, one being that, like, Hoggett is trying to uh, give the sheep medicine, and they're, like, being uh, frustrating and won't, like, sit still for him. And so Babe steps in and just politely explains that, like, oh, it's medicine, and I know it tastes bad, but it'll help you. And they're like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> they're like, fine. you convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll line up for this. It's, it's cool. I'm a sheep, and I have an understanding of, like, modern healthcare practices. Antibiotics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Farmer Hoggett is like, oh, he's actually really good at hurting the sheep. Maybe... I can enter him into a competition. <laughs> I just, I love Arthur's character and like, he's so quiet, right? But there's kind of like these gears that are always turning in his head, right? It seems like he's always like either problem solving or like thinking of possibilities, you know yeah. what I mean? And like, this is one of those instances where like, he's not verbalizing his plan, but you, can, you know that he's thinking about this. Yeah, you can just see what's going on with him. There's a really great scene um, in the book where they go to watch the sheepdog trials to kind of see what's going on. And, and Fly is explaining the process to Babe. And there's just like a really great kind of couple lines here where they're, they're going and they, they set up to kind of watch the trials. They had reached the head of the valley now and the farmer found a suitable place to stop undercover, but with a good view of the course. Down, fly, down, pig, and stay, he said, and exhausted by this long speech, stretched his long frame on the ground and settled down to wait. I love that line. Because, like, he doesn't really say much. No, no. And this is, like, the most he can handle. Two commands and he's, like, winded. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah, it's it's great. And so uh, he eventually, like, constructs his own course on his land to have uh, Babe start to, like, herd the sheep through and starts training babe (laughs) simultaneously i don't know if we have a full sense of how much time is actually passing yeah i mean i'm sure pigs grow rather quickly but in the book babe is like a full-size pig now yeah they even say in the book that he's like the same size as a sheep almost um which is really interesting because the movie chooses to keep him as a little pig i mean how could you not i know he's so cute he's so little so cute. It's probably harder to root for a full-size pig than for a cute little piglet. <laughs> That's very true, I'm sure. Um, but I do like in the book because he's getting bigger and, you know, you kind of need some speed to herd the sheep. Fly is is noticing this and she's she's like, listen, babe, you like being a sheepdog, <laughs> we have to right? Talk. Like you like this. This is fun for you. And babe's like, absolutely. This is the best. I want to do it forever. And she's like, okay. Well, I think that you could improve in a couple ways and I could train you. And Babe's like, absolutely, I'm down, whatever you say. And she's like, okay, well, 
You're going to need to start running more. You got to build up your endurance, right? We got to do laps. We got to do sprints. We got to get you going, right? We got to get you strong. Also, you've got to lay off the food, babe. You're getting really (laughs) fat. (laughs) She's very kind about it. She's very sensitive. Yeah. But is like, this is an athletic sport and you need to be like in a certain shape for it, right? Yeah. And babe is like, absolutely. I will do whatever it takes. I don't care. I'll eat less. And it's funny because the book says like <laughs> how um, Arthur and Mrs. Hoggett like love Babe so much. They keep trying to give him extra food, but he's not eating it because he's trying to stay in the best physical shape of his life. Yes. Right. So he's giving it to the other animals. And they talk about how all the other animals on the farm are like really fat. <laughs> really fat but babe is like trim and like just like speeding down the hill like why didn't this movie have more of a muscular pegadina (laughs) i think that really would have like went for the cute look (laughs) instead of a a weirdly ripped pig pig. (laughs) (laughs) it is funny though because the book describes especially uh fly getting just kind of fatter yeah she's also like not working anymore because babe is doing all the hurting so she's just getting extra food and not doing anything and she loves it oh yeah and i love that she's like babe like if you enjoy this like you should do it like i'm here to support you as she lays in the grass and and just takes like all the food that he's not gonna eat (laughs) she's really benefiting (laughs) yeah i love this aspect of the book kind of talking about babe's training uh we don't really get this in the movie um, but we do see Babe kind of getting better and going through this obstacle course and kind of learning how to herd the sheep. Uh, around this time, there is a tragic day. Is mm-hmm. that what the chapter is called? A tragic day. We haven't talked about this, uh, th- but the movie does have a kind of chapter framework. Yeah. Where there's just different portions that are given different titles. And I really love this. I know. It's like a, they have a kind of a storybook opening in the beginning. Yeah. And then we have these like little chapters that come up and um, the chapters are narrated by this trio of mice. It's like a Greek chorus of mice. Yes. I heard that this was... And I'm kind of surprised that they could do this kind of at the last minute. But apparently at test screenings, it was just the chapter titles. But a lot of kids were like, what does that say? Like asking like their parents, like, Mm. hey, what I can't I can't read because I'm a child. (laughs) What is that? And so then they added the mice saying the chapters out loud Mm -hmm. during each portion, which are kind of like very iconic. They're very funny. (laughs) They're very high pitched and crazy. Yes. And uh, just a lot of great chapters titles, though. And I like that framework for the film. Mm -hmm. Um, But this one is like a tragic day. And Babe hears, I think, a commotion with the sheep and sees that there's dogs attacking them. Yeah. These are wild dogs. At first you're like, oh my God, are the rustlers back? Yeah. Right? Because it's just some random dogs. And then you realize they're just kind of random stray dogs attacking sheep. And unfortunately, they bring down Ma. Yeah. And start attacking her. Babe, though, uh, who in the book is a full-grown pig, mind you, is able to fend them off. And I do love in the film, like, his just little body just running into the dogs and just, like, him going, like, crazy on them and, like, scaring them off. Yeah. He does scare them off, but unfortunately, it's too late for Ma. She she dies. It's really sad. I know. And Babe is there and Farmer Hoggett shows up to discover Babe at the scene of the crime, <laughs> hanging over the dead animal. Covered in her blood. Covered in blood. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing, Adina. Even in the book, 
I don't think this totally works because, like, would you really believe this pig would just brutally kill a sheep in this yeah. manner? But in the book, Babe is a full-grown pig at this point. So, like, he is probably capable of it if he went just totally savage. Right? right? Like wild boars. Yeah, yeah. Like a, a full-grown strong pig, right? Mm-hmm. I know the piglet film. (laughs) I'm sorry, but like, I don't care how suspicious the circumstances are. Only an idiot would think that babe could have possibly even physically have killed that sheep. Yeah. Maybe she like fell over and then babe like started like biting her after she fell over, fell over her own shears. (laughs) Sorry. It's a hot fuzz joke. Uh, But yeah. So Hoggett is like, well, it's time to execute this pig for your. <laughs> we cr- had a good run <laughs> for your crimes against sheep. <laughs> yeah, it's not looking good for Babe. Arthur gets his gun. He's bringing Babe into the shed. Babe has no idea. He thinks the gun might dispense some kind of treat for him. This is so sad. The narrator <laughs> kind of saying this. Yeah, and it's a line from the book as well. A lot of these narrations do come from the book. Yeah, which we should mention. Yeah, and Fly. Decides to talk to the sheep because she's so upset and she's so worried about Babe. So it's only in this very desperate situation that she kind of lowers herself to talk to the sheep. Yes. And the sheep are very frustrating because at first they're just like, wolf, wolf. And then she's like, wait, did Babe do this? And they're like, Babe, Babe. And they're just like <laughs> repeating whatever she says. Yeah. Um, but I like in the way the book describes it, too, that like when she actually really listens, she could actually decipher what they were saying that they actually were speaking like in sentences saying like wolves attacked us babe saved us where's babe yeah like he's a hero and in the film too fly has to be like very patient and really really struggle to actually understand what they're saying Mm -hmm. but she gets the gist of the story she gets through and she kind of rushes back to try to save babe and she's barking her head off and at the same time, uh, Mrs. Hoggett gets a phone call about wild dogs in the area and kind of interrupts. I mean, Arthur's like about to shoot Babe. Well, in the book, he is when Mrs. Hoggett interrupts him and stops him from shooting. But in the film, he's kind of already walking away from the barn. Well, he hears fly barking. Okay. She's like barking her head off. Okay. So and so I think he's kind of like, what's going on? Okay. I had kind of maybe thought he had like already decided like not to do it. It could be. I You could take it that way too. Yeah. I mean, but the barking could also be because you do catch a moment of him hearing it. So mm-hmm. it's unclear, but he almost shot the pig <laughs> for a kind of a very stupid reason. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, Babe uh, survives to live another day to hurt another uh, sheep. Singular. <laughs> just one, <laughs> one just single one sheep. Sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so at this point in the film, the wife, Mrs. Hoggett, is leaving for some kind of like group trip that she's a part of. Like she's a part of some organization. I forget the bus has it like on the back. It's like the, a rotary club or something, something like, like that. Yeah. Um, but she's leaving her husband for a short time. Of course, she has to like prepare all of his meals and all that stuff. <laughs> and they say goodbye. And Arthur uses this opportunity because I don't think his wife in the film is as crazy about the pig, but uses this chance while she's gone to invite Babe into the house. Yes, and he's also filling out the application form for the sheepdog trials. Yes. So he's sending that off, and he's using this time that his wife is away uh, to kind of do that undercover. In the book, 
she never leaves and she kind of knows what he's doing. She's still kind of shocked when he actually does it, but she kind of like suspects what's been going on, I think, more. Yeah, she kind of alludes to like, oh, you're not going to like enter that pig into the competition, are you? That would be crazy. Like, (laughs) ha ha ha. But yeah, no, so she she's around in the book the whole time. But we get this really just sweet and funny scene in the film where Arthur and Babe and Fly are just like hanging out in their cozy house watching TV. At one point, the cat scratches Babe and Arthur just throws it out of the house (laughs) in the rain, in the rain. Uh, There is a power outage. And it was so funny because like the power goes out. And we get a whole shot of, like, Arthur outside checking, like, the, um... The fuse box. The fuse box and checking the fuses. And I thought, like, what a random insert shot to include. Like, you know, why even bother with that? Like, not that I, like, had any issue with it, but but, but it pays off later. Like, I thought, like, this whole setup of, like, the power going out has so many effects later on in the story that are, like, really smart. Yeah. First one being that Babe is alone with the cat. Yes. Right? And the cat takes this opportunity to take revenge for getting thrown out into the rain earlier. And she tells Babe the truth, which, you know, he probably did need to know sooner or later. The whole barn knows the truth about what almost happened to Babe at Christmas and what most pigs suffer, right? And so the cat tells him that pigs are food. Yes. I love that the cat doesn't speak in the movie until this point. Yeah. And it's just, like, so fake sweet and kind and, like, uh, so, like, upsetting. But Babe goes to Fly and is like, hey, the cat told me something that sounded kind of fucked up, but I thought (laughs) I should, like, run it by you real quick. Yeah. Am I for eating? And Fly is like, yep, pretty much. Like, uh, Farmer Hoggett won't eat you, probably, but... That is kind of what pigs are for. Yeah. And Babe is like, so all my brothers and sisters and my mom and everybody and flies like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so sad. It's really sad. I think now's a good time to bring up something in this uh, story and specifically the impact of the film. And that is that. Pork sales after this film came out dropped 20%. Really? Apparently, according to IMDb trivia. (laughs) So that could be totally wrong. But I would believe it. Yeah, I mean, I read that a lot of people became vegetarians because of this movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, James Cromwell, uh, who played Arthur, was a vegetarian when he made this movie and then became vegan afterwards. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie does kind of like make it, it, it challenges you. If you are a meat eater, because it's like we do draw these like really weird lines around that. Right. I know. We're like dogs. Ah, dogs are best friends. Man's best friend. We can't eat them. We would. People are like way angrier at anyone who abuses a dog than probably like most people. Right. Yeah. Uh, But pigs. Nah, fuck them. Yeah. You know. But, like, pigs are incredibly intelligent animals, too, right? Mm -hmm. And we kind of, like, a lot of people will rationalize this and kind of, like, justify it. And this movie is very much like, I mean, pigs are cute, right? Yeah. Look at this pig. He's he's herding sheep, right? And obviously (laughs) it's a very silly story. But, like, I don't know. It doesn't take much to suddenly have you kind of, like, either questioning or having to ignore maybe, like how you justify what you eat, right? Mm -hmm. We just watched Chicken Run like a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, man, really growing up with Chicken Run and Babe, maybe that like influenced me to becoming a vegetarian later in life. Yeah, and then you 
in the following years influenced me to become a vegetarian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the power of cinema. Yeah, but um, yeah, apparently a lot of people were influenced by this film, and I can definitely see it because Babe is super cute in this. Yes. <laughs> uh, after finding out this harsh reality, Babe uh, takes off during the night when it's still raining, and it's sweet because Rex helps uh, Farmer Hoggett like find him. Mm-hmm. And when they find him, he's like very cold and sickly and is not in great shape. Yeah, the vet comes and is like, he's refusing to eat. He's going to die if you don't help him, right? And the trials are that day. The the tension, Adina. The stakes are so high. So Farmer Hoggett's trying to get him to, to eat or to take like liquids is like trying his best. And this is where we get maybe his most iconic moment in the entire film, mm-hmm. beginning with him singing a sweet song to Babe. If I had words. is I, I don't know this song at all. Yeah, I mean, I, apparently it's an existing song. They didn't yeah. write it for this movie. Okay. It just exists. And I've always known this song because of Babe, right? Yeah. It's a very sweet song, and he's just, like, it's kind of like a lullaby almost. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had words to make a day for you, I'd sing you a morning golden and true and, and kind of going on, and he, he kind of gets into the song the more he sings yes. it. He's kind of getting hyped up, right? And Babe is like, what's happening? And then he stands up, and he dances a whole jig. <laughs> and he's, like, super into it. It's great. And by the time he's, like, he's done, and he's, like, coming down from the high of dancing, he looks outside, and, like, all the animals are <laughs> watching him. It's a great moment. And Babe is eating again. Is re- He's rejuvenated by... The power of dance. I think this is a really interesting moment, Ian. It is. Isn't it, like, very nuanced for a children's film? It really is. Like, Arthur is such a closed-off person. I mean, you see his warmth and his kindness and him caring about Babe, but, like, he doesn't speak a whole lot, right? Yeah. So for him to, like, sing this, like, really sweet song to babe and then to do this like really energetic dance for him for him yeah is like this really significant moment yeah. but it's not like totally apparent the unless purpose you're, of it yes unless you're like really it, it, it's kind of more just the vibe of it you yeah know? and like why this would make babe want to like continue living it feels very magic magical realism oh yeah it feels almost kind of like magical realism right mm-hmm. like almost this supernatural healing happened to babe from his like song and dance right yeah like it kind of has that almost uh supernatural quality to it yeah i think too there's just this vulnerability that like arthur is sharing with babe yeah in this moment um it's really interesting and like really adds a lot to his character and to their relationship, but it's just, like, so unique and different, and I love it. It is. It's fantastic. Uh, So Babe is well enough that Arthur can still get to the competition. Yeah, and I do want to note that this whole plot line of Babe finding out the truth about what happens to pigs, running away, all of this is just in the movie. Yes. I do think, though, everything that the movie adds... Except for maybe the uh, the hijinks of the trying, heist, the, the heist of the the alarm clock. <laughs> Everything else the movie adds is only elevating the story that's already being told in the book. I agree. Like the inclusion of Rex and like his whole arc and like this part of Babe finding out the truth about pigs and being sick and like it's all just like adding to what's already there. Yeah, it's not like a second. There are no secondary plot lines that are just like filler. Exactly. I mean, even the heist part relates to Ferdinand the Duck 
And his, like, character relates back to the main plot line, too. Yeah. A duck kind of, like, fulfilling another role of an animal. Mm-hmm. And their place in the farm, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so Babe is better. He's recovered enough to go to the trials. And so they go to the competition to enter Babe in and to have him perform and herd some sheep, Ian. <laughs> the first uh, aspect, though, the first roadblock that they come to, though, and they knew this would happen, is that these sheep that Babe has to herd are not the farmer Hoggett's sheep. So they don't know Babe. Yeah. And maybe Babe's charms and, like, goodwill <laughs> won't affect them. Like, no one really knows. Yeah, and Babe tries to talk to them, and they won't speak to him. They just baw at him, yeah. right? We're in that stage where... The interspecies communication has broken down. <laughs> yes, communications have broken down. <laughs> and so we have Rex stepping up in this moment to be like, I have a plan, but I have to run back to the farm. Mm-hmm. So he takes off, right? And simultaneously, back at the farm, I love this, Rex runs past a um, a truck that is repairing the electric lines, which had gone out the night before. And when those are repaired, the TV that had been on the previous night comes back on. And now it's showing the dog show. And all of the animals, like, gather around, like, the window to watch it. Yeah. I love this so much. Like, all these aspects tied to the power outage that happens earlier, mm-hmm. kind of coming back into play here. Yeah, I love them getting to watch. It's great. Uh, Rex makes it back to the sheep and has to... Uh, check himself and really humble himself before the sheep. This is a growing moment for him. It really is. He has such character development in this movie. I mean, he has to talk to the sheep and and really beg them to help. And, you know, he's doing it for Farmer Hoggett, for Arthur and for Babe, right? He doesn't want them to be, like, embarrassed on live TV, right? He even has to admit that he's, like, a little hard of hearing, and I love that the sheep, they do want to help Bay, but they're also like, okay, we have some demands. <laughs> you have to stop biting us and being so mean to us. Yeah. And he's like, okay. I, he, he says, I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> he says through clenched teeth. <laughs> uh, it's worth mentioning that in the book, Fly talks to the sheep before the competition because she has this fear about the other sheep not listening to Babe. Mm-hmm. And she gets this information uh beforehand but the sheep in this point in the film tell rex the password the password that all sheep need to know yes every every sheep (laughs) knows this password uh it's different in the book and the movie basically it's like a little like poem like a couple lines that refer to sheep things but it's really iconic in the film though ba ram you like that part in specifically like really (laughs) sticks with you uh, so they tell the code to Rex. Rex is running back to the competition and he manages to catch a ride on the truck that is leaving from repairing the power lines. Once again, tying this all back together. It's great. Yeah, it's an iconic moment. The power going out. Ian. Yes. It sets off a chain reaction. It really does. Simultaneously, Arthur is at the competition and he is before the review board or the, the group of men, the panel. The judges. The judges. Uh, Because they now know that he wants to enter a pig into the competition. Yeah. And this isn't in the book either, because in the book, his plan is to just, like, pretend like he's going to use fly. (laughs) And then at the last minute, just pull a pig out of nowhere and run out onto the field. And that's what he does. (laughs) That's what he does. (laughs) So, like, he just catches everyone off guard in the book. But in the film, we have more drama building about whether the judges are going to allow the pig 
to compete, even though the rules don't say anything against it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, another great scene adding to the tension. Yes. And also, Mrs. Hoggett, with her friends from whatever club she's in, are in their hotel room watching it. Yes. And much to her dismay, she sees her husband <laughs> coming out onto the field with Babe and passes out. I love the horrifying realization she has that, oh my God, he's going to enter the pig. <laughs> and like, this is a huge competition. And this is like, their peers essentially like other sheep farmers like if he's embarrassed like this will like it won't ruin them but it would be like hard to come back from yeah so she passes out and then later she's trying to distract everyone from the tv and watching it (laughs) uh but the judges allow uh arthur to use babe in the competition and they go out onto the field and in the film just before it's about to begin rex runs out (laughs) and is able to tell babe the password yes Babe gives them the password and they are suddenly receptive to his commands. And he very kindly asks them to do what they need to do for the competition. And I love how, I mean, it's described this exact way in the book, right? But getting to actually see and hear it in the movie is so cool because the entire audience, the stadium is laughing their heads off at this pig on the field. Yes. I love the shot of Arthur walking past the crowd that's cheering and laughing. And you can tell he's like keeping it together, but like it is affecting him. You know what I mean? Like it's that perfect mix of expressions in his face, right? Like he's trying to remain kind of stony faced, but like you can tell it's like getting to him. And even when they're out, on the field and babe runs up to the pigs like people are like to the sheep to the sheep (laughs) sorry when babe runs up to the sheep like people are just laughing their asses off and there's kind of this long pause because we know babe is talking to the sheep Mm -hmm. but arthur is just like calm and collected like just standing there and then as soon as the sheep start moving i think even you get the reactions of people before you see it. Where yeah. suddenly it's just dead silent and you see like everyone watching. <laughs> and then it just cuts to a shot of the the sheep just in perfect, perfectly uniform order moving going through the entire obstacle course. Yeah. And it's dead silent. And I love this. There's not even any like music or no. anything in the movie. It's just absolutely silent. There's such a restraint here that pays off so well where it would have been so easy and probably tempting to add like a jaunty little dramatic score. music. Yeah, or uplifting, swelling music, you know. But it being dead silent works so well. It works yeah. so well, <laughs> and it actually just elevates the scene so much. Mm-hmm. And it goes on for a while because, like, the pig, the, the sheep, I here I go again, the pigs, <laughs> the sheep have to go around, like, several, um, like, weave through several parts, and then they go to the ring, and then Babe has to have, like, However many sheep have collars to yeah. step out of the ring. And then uh, Hoggett has to walk over to the pen and open it. And they all go into the pen. And this was another part that was so perfect. As he's closing the pen and it's still dead silent, there are like seven cuts of different yeah. shots of him closing. It's almost like it there's... It seems so long. It does. And it's like dramatic without the music. It's almost like there's an invisible score. <laughs> like a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like all these different cuts and shots of him like dramatically... Yeah, closing the gate. But it's still just dead silent. And the moment it latches shut and the crowd just erupts... Goes wild. ...into cheers. Yeah. 
I, and then the music kicks then in with the, the music score. Comes in. Uh, it is like honestly one of the best. It's cathartic. Yeah, it is. And like one of the best directing choices like I can think of, you know, yeah. to have done it that way. It's beautiful. And I mean, then the crowd is going wild. The music's going wild. Everyone's cheering. Mrs. Hoggett and her friends watching. Mrs. Hoggett is like silently crying. I know. It's very sweet. And then you have Arthur standing there with Babe, totally silent. We have the narrator kind of chiming in here. And we have him turning to Babe and saying... That'll do, pig. That'll do. It's beautiful. It's, it's wonderful. Even just like Arthur's lack of excitement is beautiful. His, because, his quiet confidence, right? Yeah, it's like he he knew. He knew Babe could do it. So he's not even like excited because he no. just knew it would happen. Yeah, you know? but he's still proud of him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's so touching. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, just like the perfect ending, right? Yes. Uh. I mean, yeah, what else is there to say? Nope, that's it. We did it. Uh, Now we're on to the age-old question of which version of this story hit closest to home or, like, touched us in our hearts more. The movie. It it is is the movie. (laughs) I concur. Uh, The book is good. It is good. It's a very sweet little story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of the movie is heavily based on the book. Like, obviously, it has to to pad it out. The book is very short. It's like 120 pages. Yeah. Um, So, you know, the movie has to fill it in quite a bit. Um, But a lot of those main parts, even like the narrations, come from the book. Yeah. And I looked up this author and he wrote a lot of books, you know, during his time um, as an author. And I don't really think a lot of them have stuck around like this one has. Yeah. I mean, how much of that is is the film? Well, I mean, the book got like a really big award, didn't it? I think it got more attention than his other books. Yeah. But then I think the movie really solidified its place and like pop culture and, mm-hmm. and everything else. Yeah. I mean, he had a big career as a writer. Yeah. And I think he had a, a handful of other adaptations. I know one was The Water Horse. Oh, okay. Um, which I think was a movie that came and went. Yeah. And people didn't really <laughs> remember it too well or like accept it too fondly. But like he wrote a lot of books about animals for children. Yeah. That was the thing I was wondering. I was like, did he have a specific inspiration for this story? You know, because like animals behaving like other animals or being adopted by other animals is something we do see from time to time. And I could imagine like him being inspired by a true story like that. I mean, obviously not a pig actually like sheep farming. <laughs> yeah. But was there something to that. But like. He just wrote about animals a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of curious, like, what he did different about this book that, like, really stuck with people? Or was this just kind of the the one that people latched on to? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's hard to say. And it is a really good book. But when you're talking about lasting impressions and, like, such an achievement, you know, technically and also, like, story-wise, it's got to be the movie. Uh, Absolutely. Like, it's endured... And remained relevant for so long for good reason. Mm-hmm. It's touching. It's sweet. And it's just incredibly well made. Yeah. Like there's a lot of really good. I mean, like the finale, for example, like there's a lot of good creative choices made there that really elevate it. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's true for a lot of moments, like a lot of moments in the film that could have just been like silly or throwaway moments are given either like more weight or there's like a certain amount of creativity involved. Uh, we talked about, like you said, the special effects that were done for this film that were so groundbreaking, like the manipulation of the animals' mouths with, like, CGI. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's just a whole host of things that relate to why this movie is so is so good. And it's so sweet and heartwarming. It is. It's great. It is. I really want to watch Babe 2 now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I want that to be like the next movie we watch because <laughs> I want more of this. Yeah. All right. So it's a movie for both of us. It's movie. Let's uh, do a lightning round. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. First up for lightning round. Uh, one aspect of the movie that we didn't mention is uh, this dollhouse. Yes. And we see it at the beginning and it's the reason there's paint in the house that gets spilled. And we know that Arthur is like hand painting and hand making this dollhouse. And he ends up giving it to his granddaughter on Christmas only for her to like freak out and reject it and cry that she wanted the one on TV. Yes. And I'm like, this is heartbreaking. This is terrible. I feel so bad. Even as a child, I was like, this is awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, I kind of don't know why it's in the movie. I know. I'm like, what What are we saying? Are, is Babe fulfilling the role that <laughs> his <the> grandchildren <laughs> that, he, that hate him in the movie? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm like, I hate seeing his grandchildren be so shitty to him. I know. And he spent so much time on that. He did. It it's really sad. It kills me. I hate stuff like that. <laughs> I do, too. I really do. <laughs> Uh, so one thing for lightning round, I just want to mention in the book, they keep referring to fly as the collie bitch. (laughs) And like, I know that that's what people refer to dogs as. I know it. But to see it printed in a children's book is shocking. It's very and they, funny. And it says it multiple times. It's like the bitch. And then the bitch was like, oh, well, like we have to stop that. Like, come up with something different. Yeah. You have to come up with something different. <laughs> that it really did make me laugh out loud a few times. Because it'd be like a really sweet, tender moment. Yeah. And it's like, and that's when Babe curled up next to the collie bitch. <laughs> God. Okay. Small fun fact, but like when I read this, I was like shocked. Uh, the actress who played Mrs. Hoggett was in her early 30s. What? When she made this movie. Oh, my God. Seriously? And they obviously intentionally, like, <laughs> made her wardrobe and makeup and everything make her look older. But she was in her early 30s. Why not cast a woman that age? I don't know. It's funny because that's my usual complaint when it's like, oh, a man is, like, with, married to a woman who's, like, 30 <laughs> years younger, 20 years younger, or whatever. But, like, they don't even, they don't make her look like that. No, like, she's she looks older. No, you see them next to each other, and you're like, yeah, that looks like a, a couple. Oh, my God. That's so absurd. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> my last thing for lightning round, I just want to, like, kind of mention the actor, James Cromwell, who plays the um, Arthur, Farmer Hoggett. So he is, like, a very well-known activist, You know, I thought that at one point, but, like, I didn't read anything about that when I saw it. Yeah, so apparently when he was younger, he would was protesting the Vietnam War. He was involved in the civil rights movement. Um, And then later, especially after making this movie, um, he became, like, an advocate for PETA. Oh, okay. So um, he's been arrested probably, like, ten times. (laughs) Oh, shit. For disrupting events, kind of as publicity statements, to draw attention to situations of animal cruelty. He has also protested for the environment, for, like, um, like gas pipelines, things like that, kind of 
just has become this figure that's like very active and has been publicly arrested kind of as a, you know, protest and as a statement. So I think that's really cool. That's fucking awesome. You know why I think I knew that? And I don't know if you were aware of this, but James Cromwell is in succession. Oh, really? Yeah. He plays the brother of Brian Cox's character. Okay. Logan. And so he's like the uncle to a lot of the characters, but he's like removed from like the family business and he kind of like despises all of them at at various points they have to like ingratiate themselves to him and he like shows up from time to time but like that kind of makes sense for him as an actor and like him as a person that like yes he's in succession but he's not like them Mm. that he kind of actively is against everything that this family believes in you know (laughs) yeah that's kind of interesting that yeah and how that i think that's also why i read that he was like a a known activist too Mm -hmm. was relating to that role yep so uh that's it for lightning round yeah and this episode thank you so much for listening this was a really fun one to do we hope you enjoyed it if you would like to support the podcast you can do so by becoming a patron yes if you join our patreon you gain access to all of our bonus episodes which there are 60 of now yep we just launched one on the recent scott pilgrim animated series on netflix which was really cool uh you also gain access to our discord channel where we're constantly talking to our listeners and it's a lot of fun also you get priority episode recommendations so if there's an adaptation you've been wanting us to discuss uh, that's the best place to uh, force us to do it. <laughs> yeah. And if you'd like to help us out in another way, you can leave us a rating um, or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. We really appreciate everyone who takes the time to rate and review us. Yes. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. We're on TikTok also. Yeah. Uh, you can find all those links on our website, CoverToCredits.com. Uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.